Good morning, and God bless you, Chapel Hill. It's so good to be with you this morning. Um, certainly give you greetings and, and um, appreciate each of you for your support over these last few years uh, that I've been involved with Damascus Way. Uh, I have a bunch of friends and family members that are here from Damascus Way. If you're here, a family or friend of Damascus Way, would you just raise your hand? God bless you. Thank you so very much. Different staff and partners of Damascus Way and family members of myself. And I'm sure there's other visitors here. And my understanding is that if you're a visitor here or you need a Bible, they have Bibles so you can just kind of lift your hand and they'll bring you a Bible uh, for this morning's conversation that we're going to have. So again, thank you for your support. Certainly I want to uh, personally recognize Paul, your pastor, and I understand that he's taking a sabbatical. I'm somewhat jealous of and envious of him. I was driving up here thinking, man, I could use a sabbatical. So good for you all for allowing him to take a sabbatical. To Kyle, certainly Jennifer and Becky, who serve with Transform Minnesota and put up with me uh, day after day as they're helping in our administrative office. Uh, again, I'm glad to be here this morning. I want to talk to you this morning. I want us to maybe think about the distinction between a cultural transformation and an authentic conversion that happens as a result of having an experience with Jesus Christ. Now, as I was praying and thinking about what we talk about this morning, that came to my mind after looking at your vision and your mission. Your vision, as you're aware, uh, says something like this, to move this generation from culture to kingdom. The mission is to guide people into a flourishing, contagious relationship with Jesus Christ. Culture defined like this. It has to do with societal norms, customs, attitudes, behaviors of an individual and or particular group. Conversion, by definition, is a change of beliefs and practices often through one's personal experience. Read that recently there was a survey trying to distinguish in America those that identify as Christians. Somewhat surprised, two and, third, two and three Americans identify as Christians. This is down from 2007 where 78% of Americans would say that they were Christians. Either way, to me, those numbers are somewhat staggering because I think about what would happen if two-thirds of Americans were Christians by conversion. I wonder what our world would look like. And so whether it's two-thirds, 78%, I think if we're testifying that we've been converted, radically transformed by Jesus Christ, we can really shake up our world. I would say that a converted believer is probably one, well, without doubt one, that has had what we call a born-again experience. It was in the book of John, the third chapter, that Jesus dealt with Nicodemus. You all remember that story? Nicodemus came to Jesus, and, and uh, Jesus talked to him about this conversion that takes place when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. He said, you've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. And when one's born of the Spirit and embraces Jesus Christ, a radical conversion takes place. 
But then we have in America what we call cultural Christians. Those of us that probably can't even pinpoint a time, an era in our life where we've been transformed. We're the ones that have just always known Jesus, right? We came out of the womb being Christians. And I'm not suggesting that that doesn't happen, kind of, sort of. But the danger of that is that if you haven't had a radical, transformational experience with Jesus Christ, what happens is we believe that our truth is the truth. And I believe what Jesus was trying to get across to Nicodemus is there's got to be a pinpoint experience where you've had a transformational relationship with Jesus Christ, evidenced by Galatians, the fifth chapter, somewhere around the 22nd verse, we have what we call the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit bears evidence that indeed I've been transformed by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and the infilling of his Holy Spirit. Question that I might pose this morning is, have you had a conversion experience? Or, or maybe you're like some of us uh, Christians by culture alone. See, when, when you haven't had a conversion, what happens is often is our convictions become tainted by our own bias, right? We become the authors of truth. But when you've had an authentic conversion birthed by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, his truth becomes the truth. I, I want to turn our attention to the fourth chapter of the book of John. In this fourth chapter, we have some tension between cultural conversion and transformational conversion that happens by way of Jesus Christ. It's somewhat of a long story, so I don't have time to read all of the verses, but I do want to read a number of the verses, starting at verse 4, reading to verse 14. It reads like this. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the pilot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman in verse 9 says to him, You're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For you know that Jews have no encounters or no conversation, no relationship with Samaritans. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She says, sir. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons 
and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So you all know this story. You all know some of the cultural realities of being a Samaritan. Samaritans were what we might call half-breeds. They were Jews and they were Gentiles. They, they were so much Gentile that they weren't Jews at all. Like they understood some of the traditions of Jewish heritage. They understood uh, some of the kind of bigger realities of who God was, but they didn't have access to relationship with God because of who they were as Samaritans. Now, now I have to be careful because sometimes um, I find myself acting as both Jew and Samaritan. How so, Tier? Well, well, I, I, I get a little hood sometimes when I'm behind the uh, table here. And I might say some things that you don't understand, and so there might be some times that I have to just pause and think, did I say that in a way that you understand? And then there'll be times I say things, and you'll just sit there and not say anything. You won't raise your hand or anything, and I'll forget the context I'm in. And I'm used to my preaching being more of a dialogue. So every now and then, if I say something that maybe kind of sits well with you, just raise your hand, or, or someone might say amen, just so you know that hood that's in me knows that I'm in the right place. So here is this Samaritan woman, finds herself at Jacob's well. Jesus goes to Samaria, says, I have to go there. And and I wonder why he had to go there. I wonder what was kicking into his thinking that caused him to say, I have to go there. Understand that where they were going, to go to Samaria was actually going in a roundabout way. But I think Jesus knew that there was going to be a woman at this well that he had to meet. See, we understand that Jesus was both God and man. And therefore, one of the characteristics of God is that he's omniscient. He knows everything. And I find it ironic and somewhat encouraging that Jesus would bypass his normal route to go to Samaria, to go to this well, to meet this woman. Maybe that's true in our life. Those that have been converted, those that have experienced Jesus, that that God found us on some non-traditional routes, found us in our brokenness and our woundedness, found us at a point of, of wanting to give up, found us at a point where no one else understood us. Have you ever been there? That that Jesus bypassed the traditional route just to meet you. That's a conversion experience. And so he finds this woman at the well, at Jacob's well, and they begin to dialogue, and there's some tension there because the cultural norm there is that Jews have no relationships with Samaritans. And here this man would approach this woman, and he would empower her. Now, how often do we do that as believers? Oftentimes, we come uh, meeting an unbeliever, and we come with the power, right? We lead over, almost like, like uh, they're insignificant. 
And here Jesus at the well empowers this woman and asks her for a drink. You know, sure, Jesus wants to get something to us. I mean, he's the author and giver of life. But I also want to tell you that there's something significant in each of you that Jesus wants to get from you. Well, well, the truth of the matter is this, that that which is in you was given by God anyways, so it's just a gift to you so that he can get the gift through you. And uh, here this woman is at the well, and Jesus asks her for a drink. Somewhat redundant, but she says, why are you asking me for a drink? You shouldn't even be talking to me. Not only was she a Samaritan, she was a woman. The cultural context there is that males didn't have conversations like that with with women. Not only was she a Samaritan, not only was she a woman, but her life was jacked up. How do I know that? Read through the remainder of the story. This woman had been married five times. And the brother she was kicking it with now, I'm sorry, the man she was with now... I told you all, I sometimes forget where I, the man she was with now, she was shacking up. They, they weren't even married. But Jesus said, no, I, I've got to get to Samaria. I've got to get to this woman that, that the five may not have saw significance. The guy she's with now may not have saw significance, but there's something significant about this woman. And they begin to exchange, they begin to talk, they, they begin to trade, and, and she says, well, you're asking me for water, and, and you shouldn't be asking me for anything. Well, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would have flipped the script, and you would have actually said, no, Jesus, why don't you give me water? Why would I do that? Because there's a water that I have that will cause you to never thirst again. Check this out. Some of the things in our lives, some of the thing, lives, some of the things we're doing is because we're thirsty. Yeah. yeah. Some of us have been in relationship after relationship because we're thirsty. Some of us go from this job to that job, that job to this job because we're, we're looking for something in this world to fill the void that only Jesus can fill. Some of us try this hit and that hit and that hit and this hit because we're looking for a high that only Jesus can give. Some of us can't leave the office because we're looking for significance from the office. But what I'm trying to tell you is that the significance that we're looking for only comes from Jesus. And he says to her, if you understood who was asking you for water, you would actually ask me for water because the water that I have will meet that void in your life and you'll never thirst again. Who wants that water? See, this is the difference between cultural conversion and and conversion by experience with Jesus Christ. And she says, okay, that's cool, but... You don't even have anything to draw with. And, and, and never thirst again? Tell me more. And he explains all that, and she says, yeah, I want it. 
And they begin to talk, you know, they begin to talk about, you know, where they are, and they're at Jacob's well, and, and he begins to break some truths down, kind of gives the spirit of the truth, and, and, and he says that, you know, there, there is a time that's coming that, that you don't have to necessarily worry about being in the sanctuary, you don't necessarily wor- have to worry about, you know, being there, he said, coming to the well. There's going to come a time where it don't matter who you are, don't matter how you look, how you smell, what side of the tracks you come from. It don't matter if you're white, black, yellow, blue, brown. There's going to come a time where there will will be true worshipers. Those that have experienced Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And, And I'm telling you, when you've experienced him, have you ever just been in your car just driving and you begin to think about something significant God has done for you? And, and I don't know if you're like me, I have what we call uh, in our Reformation a Holy Ghost moment. I mean, I'll just be driving and I'll think about the times that I was bound in my own sin and God delivered me. And I start having a Holy Ghost moment. I just start thanking him. I start praising him. I start thinking about all the times it could have been me. Maybe your testimony isn't like this woman, but someone in here knows what it's like to have been in five relationships that didn't go how you wanted them to go. Some of us in here know what it's like to go from job to job to job. Some of us know what it's like in here to want to take our own life. Some of us know that feeling, and some of us were very close to the point of giving up. And you might be like me, and you get in the car, and you start thinking about, the writer said, the goodness of God and all that he's done for you, and you have a Holy Ghost moment, and you can't help but praise him. You can't help but give him glory. You can't help but lift him up and magnify him. This is the difference between cultural conversion and conversion by experience. If it had not been for God who was on my side, I know I'm getting excited, but I just think about it. I think about all the times it should have been me. And I'll be on my road. I won't be in service. I won't be at Jacob's well. I won't be in the revival. I'll be right there in my car, and I'll just start worshiping the Father. Jesus said the time is coming, and now is where those that have been radically transformed by the redemptive realities of Jesus Christ won't be able to wait till they get to the house of God. They'll just start praising him right where they are. I, I see some of my brothers, a uh, couple electricians here, and, and you know, they'll, they'll be pulling wire. Ah, hallelujah. And they'll just start thinking about all the times this could have been different. When that hit, when that conversation could have took me down a different path. But God has preserved each of our lives for a specific purpose and a specific plan. And here's this Samaritan woman. Life's all jacked up. Her life's all broken. She's cut her wrist. That didn't work. She's taken a hit. That didn't work. She used her influence for her own well-being. That didn't work. Have you done it? Have you tried any of those things? Has it worked? 
has it brought any long-term substantial transformation? And she meets Jesus. Hallelujah. Bless his name. She meets Jesus at the well. And uh, Jesus testifies to her that not only is the Messiah coming, but that he says, I am the Messiah. And then he starts unpacking this. He starts affirming this, confirming his position. He says, yeah, I'm not just another man. I'm the Messiah. And and you, you've had five husbands. The guy you're with now isn't your husband. And she says, whoa, how do you know all my backstory? Jesus knows your backstory. I I, I know you look good. I I know that you've got a command on the language. You're intelligent. You're sharp. you're, You're precise. You're calculated. But he also knows that secret story. You know. That stuff that no one else knows, those thoughts that no one knows cross your mind. He knows those things too. You know that relationship that you thought only you and that other person, he knows that too. He knows everything. In fact, the Bible describes it that there's not a hair on your head that goes unnumbered. He knows you intimately. You know, that pride where you think, like, you're better than everyone else, and if they would just do those folks, he knows that too. And uh, this woman is, is enamored by who this guy was, the Messiah, God in flesh. In answer to all of humanity's problems, met her at the well. The Messiah, God in flesh, died for you and I, resurrected, ascended back to glory, poured out his spirit for you and for me. She's radically transformed, and just three things I want to pull from the text, and you'll have to read this on your time, but three things uh, that, that prove relevance of, of her conversion. Verse 28, she leaves her water jar. The woman goes back to town and says to the people, come see a man. And they're like, sister girl, I know you got another man. I, I get it. We've, we've heard the story. Been there, done that. She says, nope, 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 nope. This isn't just another man. This is the man. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way towards him. She leaves everything because of this man. She did. Number two, verses 31 through 38. The disciples get schooled because of her conversion. 
followers, those that have been in proximity to Jesus Christ, they start questioning what he was doing. He says, I have to be about my father's business. I've got to reach all of humanity. You don't understand these things. Your story is going to school the cultural Christian. In number three, verse 39, look what happens. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What was it? He told me everything I did. As a result of your conversion, your radical, transformed experience, God wants to use you. God wants you to go back and, and tell a people group about a man. At Damascus Way, we find it a privilege to tell those that have some of the most broken stories about a man that can take the fragmented pieces of any life, pick them up, and put them back together and make them look as if their life has never been what they've gone through. We've heard stories like nine-year-old children having needles put in their arm by their mother. We've heard stories like children being in closets month after month fed. We've heard stories like my father was a stellar pastor in one decision, one magazine radically changed my life. We've committed our lives at Damascus Way to reaching those that we call often here those people, those guys. But I want to tell you that those people, those guys, are tremendous assets to our community. Many of the answers to our world's problems are in the minds and being of those people. And so as you think about what Jesus has done for your life, think about what town you might go back to and how you'll share the gospel message that Jesus Christ the same, the music department is coming, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it for this woman, this Samaritan woman at the well, certainly he can do it for me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and faithfulness. I don't know, God. I, I think we all would attest to this. That we don't want our conversion just to be some cultural experience, a cultural norm. But God, we want you to come in our heart and we want you to rescue us from our situations. Many have come here today, God, looking real good, smelling good, 
like they have it all together. But inwardly, God, there's a call, there's a desperate cry that you might meet them, God. Meet them at this deep well of pain, this deep well of darkness. God, you can do it. You can bring transformation in the life of any person. I'm a living example. So, Father, I pray that as you're drawing hearts today, you're speaking life. You're shaping a call upon a heart and, and someone that, that's just tired of, of business as usual. Capture them now. Use them for your glory. God, I know that there's a lot of people that want to be saved. They're just not sure how. In, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, your word said through the Apostle Paul that if we confess you with our mouth and, and believe in our heart that uh, you were crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, we shall be saved. Maybe there's someone here today that, that wants to confess Jesus as Lord. I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar or raise your hand, but if that's you, if you say it from your heart, he'll transform your life. And this will be your day of salvation. And the truth of the matter is, according to 1 John 4 and 4, greater is he that is in you. He that, than he that's in the world. You don't have to give up. You don't have to be victim of, of your realities or, or situations or circumstances anymore. You're an overcomer. Go back to town and tell them about a man like no other man. He'll do it. So Father, we thank you and we praise you and we give you glory. Come on, would someone put their hands together? Let's clap our hands and let's thank Jesus for his goodness. The writer said it like this. It might not be tradition here, but the writer said, I will bless the Lord at all times and his pray. Come on, clap your hands, clap your hands. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Then he said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I will bless the Lord at all times. God bless you and thank you so much for your support. In Jesus' name, God bless you.